Good morning. We are glad that you're here. We're always thankful for the opportunity to be together on the first day of the week. And today is no exception. We're grateful to have visitors with us. We want you to come back and be with us. We're always glad to have people visit with us from week to week. It may be that you're looking for a church home, and we want to invite you to come back and be with us every opportunity that you have. And if you would be interested in working with the church here, well, we would love to have you. And I know that the elders here would be more than happy to sit down to answer any questions that you might have about the work, about how you might be involved, and so we want to encourage you to do that. We're going to be looking today at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. The passage that Austin read just a moment ago, we're going to expand that a little bit and be looking at the first 10 verses of chapter 6. We want to talk today about the Christian's to-do list. There are some things that the Bible tells us we are not to do. The flip side of that is that there are many things the Bible tells us we are to do. And so today we want to talk about some of the things that as God's people we ought to do, we should do, and we can do. And so we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of chapter 6. And as we look at these verses, there are really two things that I want us to think about. First of all, there are some external responsibilities or some outward responsibilities that we have. And then there are those inward responsibilities, those internal responsibilities that rest on all of us as God's people. We begin by talking about our outward responsibilities, that is, those external responsibilities that Paul talks about in the first few verses of Galatians chapter 6. As we look at the sixth chapter and as we think about our to-do list, let me set before you some things that we ought to be doing and that we can be doing. First of all, we have the responsibility of restoring those who are spiritually burdened. Listen to what Paul said in verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I think what Paul is telling us is that we have a responsibility as faithful members of the body of Christ to reach out to those who have gone back into the world. In other words, those who are not living faithfully for the Lord. And there are really two things that I think we ought to consider in this vein. First of all, we need to, I think, demonstrate a love, a genuine love for those who are lost and without Christ. That is, those who have, for whatever reason, gone back into the world. And there are a lot of reasons why people, at some point in time, quit the faith. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about the seed of the kingdom falling on various types of human hearts. And some, some of the human hearts under consideration by Jesus did not yield profitable or fruitful seed. Well, sometimes people go back into the world because of a love of the world, because of money, because of persecution, because they have not been grounded, whatever the case may be. But we have to demonstrate genuine love for those who are lost and without Christ. And then 
we have the responsibility of striving to lead them back to Christ. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. If a person is overtaken in a fault, in a trespass, those of us who are faithful and those of us who love the Lord and those of us who are striving to the best of our ability to live as New Testament Christians, we are to reach out to these people and try to bring them back to their spiritual senses. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the servant of the Lord that would endeavor to reach out to the wayward, that is to those that have been taken captive by the devil to do his will, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. And he said that the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but rather he is to be gentle to all men, able to teach, and patient. And then in this context, he said, here is somebody who has the ability to correct those who are in opposition to themselves, those who have left the fold. Do you remember in Luke chapter 15, Jesus talked about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son? The person that had 100 sheep, one of those sheep strayed from the flock. What did the shepherd do? He sought to, re to retrieve that lost sheep. The woman that had the coins, that lost a coin, what did she do? She sought diligently to find that coin. When she found it, what occurred? Rejoicing. Well, you and I, as members of the body of Christ, we have the responsibility of reaching out to those who are not what they ought to be, spiritually speaking and try to restore them. That's the goal, is to reclaim the lost. In James chapter five, James said, brethren, if anyone among you errs or wanders from the truth, let him know that he who converts a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. The person that James has under consideration is somebody who becomes unfaithful. And the idea is, here's somebody who's unfaithful, and those of us who belong to the body of Christ who are faithful, we reach out out of love and concern for their soul and try to reclaim them, try to bring them back to the Lord. You see, that is Christ-like. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 at verse 10 that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now there's a second responsibility that we have, and that is we are to relieve those who are mentally, physically, and materially hurting or burdened. Listen now, if you would, to what Paul said in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Drop down, if you would, and look at verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good unto all men, or to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Are there people that we know of within the church and without the church who are hurting? Mentally, emotionally, physically, materially? The answer would be yes. There are a lot of folks in the body of Christ who have some serious needs. Some, some people are hurting because they have lost a loved one. That mate that has stood by them all through the years is no longer at their side. 
And so they're hurting. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 at verse 15 that we are to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. There are some that have a lot of stress and strain in their lives. They have a lot of anxieties. We have the opportunity to help alleviate that. Listen again to what Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think there are a couple of things that are required by us and both are Christ-like. First of all, we have to have compassion on those who are hurting. And then secondly, we have to be willing to render care or aid to those who are hurting. You see, Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Did Jesus Christ not demonstrate a compassionate, loving heart toward those who were hurting? Absolutely. Do you remember in Mark chapter one, the Bible talks about a leper that came to Jesus on one occasion. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Mark said that Jesus was moved with compassion. And thus, he healed that man. Well, we ought to have compassion for people. There are a lot of people in our world today that are hurting. They are hurting mentally and emotionally and physically. And we have the opportunity to render aid to them. We can pray with them. We can pray for them. We can visit them. We can encourage them. We can try to build them up as members of the body of Christ. It may be here's somebody who's not a member of the church and they're hurting because they've lost a loved one. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they have a lot of anxiety because of their children. Whatever the case may be, well, you and I, we can help bear that burden. And then look again at verse 10. We talk about caring for those who are materially burdened. Here's what Paul said. As we have opportunity, if you look around in this world, there are a lot of opportunities. I promise you that. The opportunities are limitless. He said, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talked about that great and final day of judgment. And he said that on that final day, the shepherd and Jesus is identifying himself as that shepherd, he will say to those on his right hand, I was hungry, and what did you do? He said, you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my brethren, you did it unto me. We have a lot of opportunities to help people. You would be surprised at the number of people that stop by our building on a weekly basis and ask for help. We have people that will physically show up here looking for help. Some need food, some need money. And then there are those that will will call us on the telephone and they will identify certain needs. We had a lady that called this past week. She had seen our television commercial. She said that she's a member of the church. She lives in Oxford, Mississippi. She was undergoing some problems in life and she said, pray for me. 
We have all kinds of opportunities before us as God's children. What we need to do, seize those opportunities. And then there is a third thing that we have the opportunity to do or responsibility to do, and that is remunerate ministers who are financially burdened. Now, look if you would at verse 6. In verse 6, Paul said, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Paul here is saying that those who preach and teach the gospel, whether domestically or locally, whether internationally, we have the responsibility of financially supporting them. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There are two parts to the Great Commission. There is the going and the sending. Not all of us can go to a foreign mission field. Not all of us want to be a located preacher. Not all of us want to spend our time teaching and preaching on a daily basis. We have other professional responsibilities. So we may not have, we may not have that desire to be a preacher or teacher in the sense that this is our profession, but we have the responsibility of supporting those who choose to do so. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul makes this very argument. He asks the question, who goes to war at his own expense? Well, the answer would be no one. He said, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? And then he talks about the man who takes care of flocks, his flocks. And he said that those who take care of their flocks they drink the milk from their flocks. And so here's his point. Those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel. That is, they're sowing spiritual things. They have the opportunity, the right to reap material things. And that's all Paul is saying here, that you and I, we are partners together. You and I, as members of the body of Christ, we partner together and we do everything within our, within our ability to Expand the borders of the kingdom. We're trying to sow the seed of the kingdom and to, to see people become New Testament Christians. So those are some of our external, outward responsibilities. But now what about our internal responsibilities? What about, what, what about those inward responsibilities that rest on those of us who belong to the body of Christ? Paul talks about those things. So having said that, let me call attention to some things that the Apostle Paul says we ought, to, we ought to be doing as his children. First of all, Paul says that we need to have the right attitude as Christians. Consider, if you would, what he says in the latter part of verse 1 and verse 3. He begins by talking about our attitude as children of God. There is, first of all, self examination. Look again at verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or meekness, 
considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. When we talk to people that are not where they ought to be in the church, they're not where they ought to be spiritually. They know it, we know it, and they know we know it. What shall our attitude be? Well, Paul said, first of all, we need to demonstrate a spirit of meekness. Meekness simply means strength under control. But in this reclamation process, we need to consider our own spiritual state. Why is that? Paul tells us, lest we also be tempted. Have you ever heard somebody say, I can tell you this, that will never happen to me, or I will never do that, or I will never say that. Let me tell you what, when you have that attitude, you better be careful. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. We need to consider where we stand spiritually. We need to do that by examining ourselves. And then in verse 3, Paul said, If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But, le but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. The Bible talks about self-examination. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul said to Timothy, and Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them. For in so doing, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So there's a lot to be said for examining our spiritual lives. Where do we stand spiritually with the Lord? Are we where we ought to be? Let me just ask this question. When you do an internal investigation of where you are spiritually, what are the results? Are you where you want to be as a child of God? That's one question. A second question is this. Are you where you should be as a child of God? For some of us, we're on track. We're doing our best. We're trying to grow spiritually. We're spending time reading and studying and meditating on the, on the Word of God. We spend ample amount of time in prayer every day. We understand the importance of coming together and worshiping God on a regular basis. We see the need to be together, corporately speaking, to, to study the Word of God, to, to delve into the sacred contents of Scripture. And so we see that there is an intrinsic need there to stay grounded and, and to be faithful. But then there are some who may not be on track, may not be where they should be spiritually speaking. What Paul is saying here is you owe it to yourself to internally investigate your spiritual life. Through the years, I've seen people. I've seen people who have been baptized into Christ and for whatever reason, they, they lose their way. They get off course and the problem is getting them back on course. 
I've seen people like that all through the years. It may be that you're here today and you are off course. I would strongly encourage you to get back on course. Now we talk about self-examination. There's a second thing that Paul identifies here. And that is the sobering expectation. Drop down and look, if you would, at verse 5. In verse 5, here's what Paul said. For each one shall bear his own load. There are some things that others can do for us. There are some things that, as a mama or daddy, I can do for my children. There are some things that as a grandparent I can do for my grandchildren. There may be some things as a brother or sister in Christ I can do for a fellow member of the body of Christ. But there are some things when it's all said and done, it's on me. It is on me to decide whether or not I will be, as Jesus said, a wise or foolish builder. When it comes down to living the Christian life, to being where I ought to be as a child of God. Hey, that's, that's my responsibility. My mother or father, they can encourage, they can pray for me, they can try to, to set the right example, but when it's all said and done, it's on me. And so, I have that burden to bear. No one can bear it for me. Not only that, but there is also another burden that I will bear. And that is one day I'm going to stand before God in the judgment and give an account of the deeds done in the body. And what Paul is saying is there's no one that can bear that burden for me. I'm going to stand before Almighty God on the final day of judgment and he's going to look at my life, not my neighbor's life, not my mama's life or my daddy's life or my brother's life, He's going to look at my life. Paul said, each one shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then, in light of that, here's my question. When you do an internal investigation of your life, are you on track? Are you on course? Are you where you ought to be? Paul said, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Just think for a moment. One day, the world as we know it will be over with. Planet Earth gone forevermore. And we're standing before the great white throne. Jesus is on that throne. On that great and final day, he's going to open this book that we call the Bible. And he's going to analyze our lives in light of this word because Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. When God looks at my life in light of his word, what will he conclude? He'll open a second book. That second book is called the book of life. Will he find my name in the book of life? When he opens that book of life, will my name be numbered among the redeemed? Or will it 
have been removed. That's a sobering thought. So, first of all, we have to talk about our attitude as a child of God. And then, our actions as a child of God. Two things here. First, our fruitfulness. Let me ask this question. What kind of seed are you sowing in this life? We talk about our to-do list. The to-do list ought to consist of sowing good seed. Because Paul said, whatever you sow, you are going to reap. Here's what he says. Listen to him beginning in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I want to ask you this question. Are you sowing to the flesh or to the Spirit? The seed that you're sowing in this life right now, is it all about the here and now? Or is it about eternity? You can't sow bad seed and reap good things. Likewise, if you sow good seed, you're going to reap good things. I think sometimes people have the idea that they can just sow any kind of seed and, and they'll be blessed. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul here is saying, if you sow the wrong kind of seed in this life, let me tell you what, you're going to reap some bad things in this life. And not just in this life, but in the next life. We have the responsibility of being fruitful. Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, being the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. The light of the world, Matthew 5, verse 16. Living a life of holiness, Romans chapter 6. Using the abilities that God has endowed me with to his glory, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. Living the kind of life that would be Christ-like in demeanor. Those are my responsibilities. That's how I bear fruit. We talk about our to-do list. That's what God wants me to do. He wants me to show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. So first of all, there is this idea of fruitfulness, and then secondly, faithfulness. Listen to him in verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I want you to listen to me very carefully. There are going to be a lot of folks that don't make it to heaven. It's not, because, it's not because they didn't know what the truth was. It's not because they didn't have people on the sidelines encouraging them to live a faithful life. It's not because people didn't pray for them. It's not because they weren't properly taught. It's because they gave up. You hear what I'm saying? They gave up. Here's what Paul said. Let us not grow weary while doing good. 
for we shall reap if we do not lose heart. There are some folks, they just throw up their hands and quit. They give up. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul said that we're not to grow weary in doing good. Look at Jesus. What did he do? He went about doing good. That's what Luke said in Acts chapter 10. Jesus went about doing good. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be involved in good works. We're, we're supposed to be about doing good. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to Almighty God. Here's what Paul said. Be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know that our labor is not vain in the Lord. Let me just pause here and say this. Can it be discouraging sometimes trying to live right? Absolutely. Can it be disheartening because some folks aren't living like they ought to be that know better? Absolutely. Is it discouraging sometimes when it seems like we're doing all the work, nobody else is doing anything? Well, yes. Why is that? Because it's, that's human nature. We get discouraged sometimes. We lose heart sometimes. And sometimes we see people that are not what they ought to be. They're not where they ought to be spiritually. And so... The tendency is, well, what's the use? Paul's saying, do not give in to that kind of attitude. Paul's saying, do not grow weary while doing good. Why is that? Because there is a goal. The goal is heaven. We want to go to heaven. And so here's, 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 here's the bottom line. You and I as children of God, we have to keep on keeping on. We can't afford to quit. Look, we want to go to heaven, don't we? We want to go to heaven. If we want to go to heaven, then what do we have to do? We have to stay on that straight and narrow pathway. We've got to be about doing good. We've got to be following in the footsteps of Christ with the assurance that what? We'll one day go to heaven. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, it's reserved in heaven for you. Now, heaven's out there. We've just got to stay the course. We've got to maintain this to-do list. It may be you need to post it on your refrigerator. Maybe you want to put it on the mirror in the bathroom. Keep it before you. Here's what I've got to do. Here's what I need to do. Daily, check it off. Here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to do right. I want to go to heaven. I want to take others with me. And so I'm going to maintain the faith. I'm going to keep on keeping on until the very end. Some folks won't make it because they give up. We do not want to be among that, that number. We want to keep on keeping on. So let me encourage you today. Make sure that you're on track spiritually. Make sure that you're keeping up with your to-do list so that one day we're all in heaven together. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this day, for the many blessings that we have as your people. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to your name. 
We ask you, Holy Father, to forgive us when we fall short, when we do not meet the expectations that are set before us. And Father, we pray that you would bless us with the wisdom to live in such a way so that one day heaven will be our home. May we live, may we live with a Christ-like example each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that he is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. If you're here today and you are, well, you're not a Christian, I want you to think of it as your golden opportunity to put your faith and trust in the King of Kings, to repent of all your sins, confess his name before others and to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away. According to Acts 22:16. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2:47, where you'll enjoy all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, verse 3. And you will enjoy the quality of life that the Bible defines as eternal, 1 John 2:25. If you're not faithful, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God? We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.